Okay, then. We're about to start at the beginning. And uh, Wanathan, can you holler at everyone? Cool. Well, holler anyway. It's just, it's tradition, man. You don't break tradition. We got to holler in the hallway after the break. We're going to get a lanyard with that put on it. Hallway hollerer. Anyway, um, I had uh, forgotten one announcement, and it's important because it's coming up quick. And so if I can have everyone's attention, and this is going to be presented to you by Ashley Ward from Shirts, Texas. Hello. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ashley Ward. And I am a school teacher um, close by. I work at Rose Garden Elementary. It's in Shirt Cibolo, um, ISC. And at the beginning of this year, it's been a hard year, y'all, for teachers. And so at the beginning of this year, the Lord kind of put it on my heart. Um, and I was able to connect with a lady um, who was also like something was on our heart that the Lord wanted to do something in our school. And so we started meeting weekly to pray. And then we have since grown to four ladies, so now we each meet weekly, um, and we pray, and we're doing a Bible study together. And we have all felt very strongly that there is just a real oppression on our school um, and on our kids. We are a large elementary school, pre-K to fourth grade, and um, we have like 920 kids at this point that we service. And we're Title I, which means a majority of our students come from low socioeconomic um, backgrounds. So um, we have seen a lot of things. We have seen, we have had a student bring a weapon to school and threaten to use it. We have had children um, in first grade threatening to commit suicide. We've had um, just a lot of heavy stuff that these kiddos are carrying. And so we've been praying and we have the opportunity. Our principal is a believer. And so we asked if we could just come and invade the school on Friday morning at 10 a.m. and do a prayer walk. And I wanted to invite you guys. So all four of us who have been meeting are inviting our small groups and churches and people who love Jesus to just come and pray over the school, over the kids, over the teachers and administrators. Um, So if you would like to join us, we'll be there Friday, April 7th. So it's this Friday, late notice, sorry. Um, And we'll be there at 10 a.m., And so you can just come and pray with us, and we're going to walk the campus, we're going to pray over it, um, and all that good stuff. So if that is something that you feel is stirring in your heart, then please come join us. I did put a flyer on the back wall with the address, um, or you can text me, call me, um, but it's Rose Garden Elementary. So if you can't make it, but you can stay home and join us in prayer, I also added some prayer points back there of things that we're praying over the kids. So thank you. It is a school holiday, yes, thank you. Good Friday, um, so we are, no kids will be there. Um, so come on out. Oh, wow, good Friday and a good prayer meeting. So Friday, 10 a.m. at Rose Garden Elementary. What an opportunity. This is beautiful, right? Last fall, went through two sessions, if you guys remember on the, lie of the modern definitions of separation between church and state. So it's cool to see 
or just be a part of the church getting influence back into the country that she founded. Anyway, um, turn to Acts chapter 2, and then stand when you are there for the reading of the word. Those of you who have been in the military remember that when not a lieutenant, maybe not even a captain, but like a lieutenant colonel, a colonel or a general walks in the room and you're a lower ranking officer, enlisted guy, the room comes to attention and stands and uh, the Lord loves his word. And Jesus is the word. And so as we read it, it's just good to stand and acknowledge like the king is here. So Acts 2, verse 40, and I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, I love you. We just thank you for your word and we just thank you for your presence. We pray that your word would run swiftly, that it would be glorified. And we thank you for the guidepost that even the early church has been for us Uh, to just pull us back into the culture that you are creating for your kingdom, that your people would be a people of deep love and devoted fellowship to one another, that they would hunger for your word and be devoted to prayer, to talking to you. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your leadership in this season. ask you to help as I minister to the word. We just thank you for speaking to each individual and just thank you for conviction and joy, and vision, and we just love you, and we honor your word, and we thank you so much for just being God. We love you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, I'm continuing in the drum roll slide, and kaboom, and I, tar table row, <laughs> session one, <laughs> the Lord's completely changed my mind, we were doing the wrong thing, <laughs> just kidding, I don't know what that is, but uh, those of you that have been here the last couple weeks, or at least some of these sessions, know that's altar table row, oh, bam, there it is, you know, I could break out in the Kip Dynamite technology song, but I will spare you. I, I have it all memorized. <laughs> anyway, Altar Table Road. So we're continuing in the Altar Table Road. Um, this is session four. 
though, man, when we went through Psalm 84 together as an exposition, when I did a session before that on the maturation of the prayer movement, um, and I really feel like this series just goes deeper and it just, it connects with everything that's been shared since January. Um, Again, this fall, we all felt a shift coming, and House of Prayer is over eight years old. It'll be nine years old um, here in June. And we approached this fall with just hands wide open. God, you have permission to tear it all down and rebuild whatever you need to. We know something needs to shift, and we know something's going to be different. We just can't put our finger on it, so help, because you're the smart one. We just do what you tell us to do, right? And so it's like, I don't want to try out my, I don't want to try out my ideas. I'm not that great of a guy <laughs> compared to him, especially. And uh, he's way smarter, got way better ideas. So he'd begin to send witnesses and just people to speak into the ministry and into us. And uh, just then God bless the Holy Spirit for being a teacher. First John two twenty seven. you actually don't need any man to teach you, but you have an anointing that you've received that teaches you all things. And, uh, so he's just been had his he's just had his tender hand upon us, um, and what we realized is we're not really trying to shift into something different. It's realizing what he's built us to be over time, acknowledging that, and then stewarding that better. So it's less of a shift. It's more like, hey, beautiful things are growing. How do we actually be a good gardener with God in regard to those things? So last session, I'm actually going. Uh, pretty much word for word or like item by item, I should say, from verse 42, it says, where they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, really focusing on those right now as the culture of the early church, um, acknowledging there's some wisdom to be gleaned by their form of the, or their form that they practice, which was verse 46. Um, but we see even through the book of Acts how their form just kind of shifted according to need, pressures, and um, all those things. And so forms come and go and they can shift. Um, it's the culture, the heart, and the spirit, the substance that is the important stuff that can fit inside any form. And uh, so we talked about those things at length. I'm not going to revisit that. Um, but uh, last session was on the uh, apostles' teaching. Tonight we'll be on fellowship. And two sessions ago, we did a session on continual devotion. And so even though we covered that as an item in a session, like notice the intersectionality of all these things. And so some of them might fit into each category as we look at the altar, the table, the road together. They'll fit into each category, but because there's intersectionality um, and the categories are different in themselves, it's like one thing might look a little bit different in in one of these different, in, in different arenas. And so I say that to say, even though we're talking about the fellowship, like connect that back to the front of the verse that says they were continually devoted because this was another one of the things they're continually devoted to. So although that had its own session, just realizing that the church should be continually devoted to fellowship, just like she's continually devoted to the teaching, just like she's continually devoted to the prayer, but that she's continually devoted to the fellowship. And that takes work. That takes so much work because there's people involved, right? 
It's easy to have fellowship with God because he's beautiful and he's perfect. When we are talking about having fellowship with people, there's work involved because we're not so perfect and we can have personality conflicts and just the devil lies so much to us in the things that are said and not said because of different personality types, perceiving things differently. And so it's easier just to not work through those things to come together for a programmed church service and worship God because God's perfect and beautiful and we can experience his presence at whatever level. But I promise you, we're not experiencing the fullness of what he has if we're only committed if we're only continually devoted to the church service or we're only continually devoted to the prayer meeting or just the teaching, like until we bring in that fellowship component where we're actually continually devoted one to another is when we reach the fullness, I believe, of what the Lord wants to actually pour out. Not in a church building, though I'm thankful for this building, but in the context of a family, like a healthy family. And so it takes work to get through those. I mean, even today we're going through setup and there was a couple people, I'm so proud of them. It was just kind of fun to watch them work through a communication thing that happened in the moment. But instead of getting frustrated, if you don't laugh, no one will know it's you. <laughs> now everyone's laughing, so you're safe. <laughs> um, But uh, anyway, you could have had, you can have the option if you get offended or hurt to just go home and let those seeds grow fruit to maturity, which the mature, mature plant of a seed planted in bitterness is not going to grow anything good long term. It's just going to continue to fester and stew. So like the maturity to recognize those are bad seeds. I don't want those in my mind and I don't want them making roots in my heart. I'm going to put them in the garbage can right now. How? By engaging that individual right away and like, what did you mean by that? And engaging a conversation to actually work out differences, work out personality clashes. And it takes humility on both parts. Sometimes, you know, you're trying to make amends with somebody and they're just absolutely impossible. And so it's like, man, you can forgive them and release grace over there, but... Um, like a full reconciliation and restoration of broken relationships is a whole nother thing. And it really does take two people coming together. And so us being a family that when these little things come up or even the big things come up to just be able to like have those conversations to like build true intimacy with one another, to create the context where we can communicate and understand, but then also know that there's a safe place to say, hey, when you said this, this is like, this hurt me or this made me mad. Um, did you mean it like that or did you mean it some other way? Like, and work those things out. So that, that's why the fellowship piece takes work and it's so easy to just kind of shove that to the side or if there is some sort of fellowship within the church, just keep it shallow while we keep everyone at a distance and we enjoy the presence of God. But if the life of God is in the soul of his people, then there's divine nature in you. There's a light and a knowledge of God in each of you that it's like, 
I don't want to be robbed from getting to know you and getting to know Jesus in you. And so it, it's worth the work. It really is worth the work. It's worth the time to rearrange your schedule, to be continually devoted to one another. It's worth the drive even to go across town to be continually devoted to one another. And it's worth the hard conversations that create the intimacy. It's worth all those things. And I'm speaking as a witness at this point. Like five or six years ago, maybe I began to understand these things intellectually, but at least I bought them intellectually enough to change my hand and my foot and do the things that the Lord was moving my mind into. And all these years later, I can tell you, look, my heart is caught up and I genuinely love people. Like when we first started the prayer room and I'd meet pastors and ask them like, you know, why'd you get into ministry or whatever? And not that I was trying to judge them, but I'm just like wanting to find out like who they are and about their passions for the Lord. And one of the answers as a young man that I just never understood was when pastors would be like, man, I just love people. And I'm like, yikes, that's great for you. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm glad the Lord called me to the prayer, the prayer movement because I just talk to Jesus. I don't got to worry about people, <laughs> right? There were no oxen in our barns, so it was very clean. Anyway, uh, in regard to the past sessions of this series, I do realize like there's some folks that are committed every week, and we have some folks that are committed most weeks, and then we have some folks that can come every once in a while. I really do feel like it's important for us to track along together in this session, in the altar table road session. Um, if you miss any of the previous sessions, they're all up on the website and they're all on the podcast channels. Um, so I'm always trying to walk the balance of not being too repetitive, but then also trying to catch people up who aren't here every single week. But I will say in the season of building, um, we're not moving super fast as far as the building and implementing of things. But uh, it is one of those seasons where if you're not engaged um, at a higher level, the propensity for you to get left behind is higher and for you to begin to feel disconnected because you don't know what's going on. Um, and so I just want to throw that out there. I'm trying my best to like walk um, with where everyone's at and uh, getting, getting information, getting you know, what's happening. But uh, those sessions are online if you haven't heard all the sessions, but I'd, I'd even go back to Psalm 84, the maturation of the prayer movement, even some of the sessions from when Brad was here and talking about the house of prayer um, and the praying church type stuff. Um, and then I would ask that as much as it's possible for you, um, yeah, just to get caught up because I don't want to see anyone get left behind. And we've seen, seen that to a degree, but I just feel like in this season it, the potential to leave people behind is higher, and uh, my heart's not to do that. Anyway, um, just stay in fellowship with us and the community life of the church, um, and I'm not talking about just a service or a program or a product that we put out for you to consume. Um, I don't want to be a business that you patronize um, when you feel like it, but this is my goal for us as a community is deep connection. Deep connection with Jesus, deep connection with each other. 
and realizing that that connection comes from our head, Jesus, because we're a covenant people purchased by his blood. And so our connection is a big deal because it's based on covenant. And it's based on the blood of the covenant that Jesus paid for. And so those deep connections, that fellowship is worth fighting for. Now, in regard to defining it, it's a little bit different or or kind of interesting to me. Because I look at verse 42. It says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And oftentimes, it's easy to put fellowship just into that table portion, right? The table of fellowship. And I mean, that's what we're calling it, the table of fellowship. So to to see like dinner time or like, hey, bro, let's go grab a coffee or something. To see that just as the fellowship. And we almost kind of see the breaking of bread and the fellowship as synonymous terms. But I'm trying, I want to in this session and then in the next session when we look at the breaking of bread um, and the communion of saints, want to make a distinctions where I can, but recognizing like fellowship really kind of dips into all three of these areas. Fellowship dips into the altar. It dips into the prayer room. It dips into the table. It's a major portion of the the table. It dips into the road because what did Jesus do when he sent him out on mission? He sent him out two by two, right? No one went alone. And even as Jesus launched his ministry and went on the road, he would have times of solitude, but he was not on mission alone. He would bring those that were in close relationship with him um, into some special places and had relationship with those guys. But in looking at uh, fellowship specifically, fellowship is the bond of common purpose and devotion that binds Christians to one another through our marriage to Christ. Just want to repeat that again since we don't have slides. Fellowship is the bond of common purpose and devotion that binds Christians to one another through our marriage to Christ. By these things we're bound and joined together in him. And again, not just for service time, but even in our social life, I would submit our business and job affairs. But most important is the sharing together of, and when I say this, I don't mean it in a cute, fun, shallow way. I mean, I mean it in a deep way. Our most important thing we can do together is share in Bible study and in the revelation of scripture as we fellowship together. That that would be the centerpiece of our fellowship. And then from that, because of our continual search and discovery of who God is and his word that's revealed to us, our mutual worship of Jesus and Jesus being the one who binds us together in the covenant with his blood but that the Bible study would lead to worship and it would lead to these places of communion with God as a corporate people. So we're bound together by his blood. We're bound together by our mutual communion with one another, with him, through our remembrance, and then from that place of remembrance, just letting thanksgiving and prayer. I think one of the most important things we can do together as we fellowship with one another is even share stories and testimonies. Because one, we get to know one another, but when we get to hear the testimonies, especially if it's like, hey, we've been praying for you, how is this going because we've been praying for you? If it's not going so great, then pray more. But if it's going great, then you have a point of thanksgiving 
that can just come and rest and burn on the hearts and we can begin to share those things with one another. So I don't know if I presented that last piece really well, um, but in that you can really see like how the fellowship touches the altar, it touches the table, it touches the road. And even as we're meeting right now and building up the prayer room, it's like, hey, we wanna do a good job at building the altar of incense, of putting the prayer room together and how are we going to steward that environment of the prayer meeting. But there's still an element of fellowship of the prayer meeting. So we're telling our prayer room leaders like, hey, the prayer room should feel like fellowshipy. And then when we go to the table of fellowship, like there should be prayer involved in that piece too. And then you go out on mission with those that you're in relationship with. But uh, anyway, it's easy to recognize that the fellowship of the church, again, just touches all three of those arenas. And in verse 41, in this chapter, the new converts, it says they were baptized into the fellowship. And it's important to note, and I'll touch on this at the end, but they were baptized into the fellowship that the 120 from Acts chapter one and the beginning of Acts chapter two, that they were already living in and they were already doing. They were already in a place of fellowship. And the 120, when Jesus told them to go tarry, I know Jesus had already water baptized them and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I want to bring a new paradigm to you. And we're not replacing the water. We just had one of the coolest baptism services I think I've ever been a part of um, just a couple weeks ago. It was just so much fun at the end of the service. Um, but the new paradigm I want to bring to you is baptism means immersion. And what do we... What do we baptize into? We're baptized into the names of God, right? Into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So as a part of the baptismal liturgy, when we immerse someone in a physical tank of water or river or pool somewhere, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Well, that speaks to something so much deeper that is just a washing of the conscience as your life, your body, your soul, your mind, your strength, all just... All of that is thrown and immersed into the identity of who God is. You're immersed there. These 120 in Acts chapter one, Jesus told them to wait because you're not witnesses yet. One, that's mind blowing because they just spent three and a half years with Jesus, seeing the miracles, them getting authority to do the miracles themselves, saw the unjust trial, saw the unjust murder and crucifixion, saw the burial saw him after the resurrection and he taught them about things of the kingdom before he ascended and then they saw his ascension. But before he went up and ascended, he didn't say, now you're ready, go tell all the nations. He said, no, wait in Jerusalem and then you'll receive power and then you'll be my witnesses. It's interesting that he used his, that word, witness, I mean, he could have chosen many different words, but it's like by him choosing the word witness, he's like, you haven't seen anything yet. You think you know me. Wait in Jerusalem. I'm about to blow your mind. And then you'll be witnesses. Then you'll be witnesses. And so you have the 120 in Acts chapter one that are completely going in full immersion in the beauty of God the Father. 
God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so out from that fellowship, when these are baptized, they're being immersed in the name of Jesus. There might have been some knowledge of God, and that's why these 3,000 were visiting Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. So there was some knowledge of God that they can connect with, but now these are being baptized in the name of Jesus. And these 3,000 that were baptized in the name of Jesus, they're also immersed into the fellowship of what these 120 had grabbed a hold of, and they were immersed in the fellowship of who Jesus was, who he is presently, and who he is to be. And because of this fellowship, this deep covenantal fellowship to Jesus and his friends, the church, they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking of bread, to prayer. And because of their mutual fellowship, their continual devotion to all these things. But I, I wanna highlight the fellowship aspect. Because of their mutual fellowship, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe in verse 43, right, is the first line. Everyone, no one was left behind, but everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And because they were bound together, they had all things in common. Day by day, continuing with one mind, filled with gladness and sincerity of heart. I love that phrase. Gladness, they were happy, so there's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of prayer. But sincerity of heart, this kind of touches on that fellowship is hard because it involves people in relationships. But here you have a fellowship that washed them so deeply that these people are able to walk together with sincerity of heart. And what that means is there's no manipulation behind the mask. They were free from manipulation and they were a safe place. And because of this beautiful fellowship, this mutual gaze upon the life of Jesus, they were constantly praising God and then they found favor with all people. You know, one of the main reasons people don't go to church is the hypocrites, right? They don't see this life of the fellowship in the church so much in the world. I'm not saying it doesn't exist and that we're gonna be the only ones to find it because it's out there, but it's, it's rare, right? So when you have a stereotype, stereotypes you know, come into the mind of a culture for a reason. They're just not made up, right? They don't just come out of nowhere. And maybe stereotypes aren't bad, but it's not like they're founded on untrue things. And so the stereotype of the church is that we're just a bunch of hypocrites, that we don't do what we say, that we're actually mean and nasty, full of gossip and backbiting. I had one Muslim coworker um, when I worked at uh, Brook Army Medical before we started the prayer room and we had great talks. I would even pray with him and I'm like, I'm praying to Jesus. He's like, yeah, that's fine. Let's pray to Jesus. And uh, anyway, I was not able to see him save, but I still pray for him. And uh, at the end, he said something kind of shocking and I don't mean this to toot my horn, but just to talk about the prevalence of the culture and how the outsiders view the church and think about the church. And it's no surprise, but just kind of land in the point is our office was filled with, you know, people that had, you know, stuff from the family Christian bookstore. Like I can do all things through Christ and me in this house, we're gonna serve the Lord and all these like 
Christian things all over their desk, and people would say they're Christians and go to church. And so we had a like Christian culture as far as like people could talk about it. And one of the bo- main bosses always talked about Jesus and some of the meetings. So it was a very safe and open place for Christians. But that place was full of so much gossip and backbiting, tearing one another down for promotions, that when I left to be in ministry full-time, my Muslim coworker said many things to me, but one of the things he said was, I know that your faith is real. And he brought that up. He's like, you're not like these other people that are in here that hate each other. Like they say they love God, but they don't get along. They're constantly like talking behind each other's backs. And I've never seen you do that. So I know your faith is real. But why that should not be the exception. That should be the rule. And in the early church, that was the rule. Everyone was feeling a sense of awe. And day by day continuing, they were glad. They were full of sincerity of heart. Again, there's no manipulation behind their mask. Their hearts were sincere. And you know, Jesus calls that good ground. An honest and a good heart is good ground that grows fruit to maturity when he told the parable of the four soils. And so this was the context of the early church. And so because of that, that's when they had favor in the very last verse, praising God, they're praising God, and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And it was just, it's a beautiful culture when you study the early church. Like, all they did was in common. All they possessed was considered to be held in common because their fellowship brought them together into one heart and one mind so that there was no need. Now, I know some worldly people and folks that kind of like to jab at the Bible. So they'll take this verse and say, You know, they began, uh, verse 45 specifically, they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And so they'll point their finger at the church and like, why aren't you doing that? And uh, I don't even think the early church sold everything they had because otherwise, if they were day by day continuing in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, then whose houses are they going to if they're still going house to house? And so I don't think it's necessarily a a command to like just sell everything and then put it into the pot and then we're all gonna be communists. And we were joking one day about what we wanna do with this property and get apartments and stuff. And I'm like, I want a big stone wall with barbed wire and cameras like all around anyway. That was mostly a joke. But you know, if the Antichrist comes soon, then maybe that might not be a bad idea. But uh, <laughs> anyway, another, another topic. Another, another preaching. I totally just derailed myself. Where was I? Huh? Oh, house to house. Um, so the point is not like to feel bad for owning a house or feeling bad for having much. But what, one of the things I'm so proud of in this house is just as needs arise, like sometimes the house of prayer is able to step up and meet that need. But then I see each other, like we all help each other's needs as we're all able And we have some folks that have much and some folks that don't have much. And just being able to see how you guys share just and hold everything just open-handed and are so generous to one another. I think that's a beautiful thing. And that's something that I just want to say thank you for because it's not something we're trying to drum up and like, hey, let's try to be this, guys. But I feel like we already are and I see this and I'm just... Can I say that I'm proud of you guys and still be biblical? Can I say the P word? 
But uh, again, all, all that they did was just in common. Everything they did was in common. And the miracle of this is they were brought out of the world while they still lived in the world, right? So they didn't participate in deeds of darkness and, and all that stuff, but they were still around the culture enough to have an impact so the people could see and take notice. So this isn't a, a with total withdrawal. But uh, here's the importance for leadership. And if you don't have like an official title or a role or think like, well, I'm not a leader, I'm just whatever. Like, man, there's a culture of influence that a whole community can continue to have. So whatever roles that are defined or not defined, or you're like, I'm not a leader here, your influence in this community matters, no matter who you are. Your influence matters. And so in a sense, I'm talking to everyone, but then those of you who are leaders and helping us build in this season, um, like lock in with me here. Because here's the importance of the leadership in this and touched on it a little little bit, but just modern day, many leaders have become more like business managers. And now I know there are things and resources put in the hands of leaders to be righteous stewards of, and we don't wanna neglect those things, but I can tell you as someone who's been in business management, who's been in hospital administration, um, and can do those things, the Lord has taught me in ministry how to be a gardener. Want to sow seed, tend the ground and the fruit, take care of it, and it's totally different than like tracking things on spreadsheets and comparing metrics and forecasting for the future. Those are completely different things. If you're in ministry leadership, you are a gardener. And now again, there are, are things to manage, but even when it comes to the finances of this house, like I honestly, I have no clue what the financial picture of this house looks like, and I have no clue who gives what, um, how much you give or how little you give. Um, and it's that way on purpose because I don't want my heart to move according to that because I feel like that would be wicked. Um, because if I know you, someone to give much, then there's like this dollar sign, you know, floating around on top of your head, right? So that when something comes up that I need to address specifically, maybe I'm a little bit hesitant and I'll let you continue to like work within the community and manipulate a little bit because I know how much you give. Or if I know you don't really give that much or I know you don't give at all and it's time to like, you know, address something that matters and bring forth a rebuke or whatever, then maybe the temptation would be to do it with a heavy hand because I don't care if you stay or go because you don't give in the first place. And so just like, just take out all that manipulation and I, I don't know who, who gives what or whatever. Um, but it's interesting Chris, uh, he does so much around here and I'm so thankful for him. He's the one that stewards the finances as far as balancing the budget and all that stuff. And he'll give me general pictures and he's all, he'll let me know like if we're in trouble, if we're doing good, or I'm like, hey, Chris, I'm feeling fancy. Can I buy this thing? And he's like, no, we can't. Or like, yeah, man, go nuts. Um, which not, we don't do that much. Sometimes, no, he does not let me go nuts. And I don't let him go nuts. We, we hold each other accountable because he is the sound tech and he's a drummer. And so it's like, 
the sound system budget is always mostly taken care of. <laughs> so that's good. That's, I think that's great advice. If you ever want a church plant, make your sound engineer your treasurer of the board. <laughs> the sound system will always be top notch. Anyway, that's just a side note. Uh, but uh, even as he took over those things or different people are able to kind of look into what's going on, which is like all public record anyway, so it's not like there's anything to hide. That's just a lot going on and a lot to manage. And so even seeing those with propensity to manage and do a good job at managing, to see the Lord begin to frustrate the manager mind for the purpose of raising up the gardener's heart. So in the kingdom, you can become a gardener. And uh, I just... Just appreciate the Lord. I, I just go forward in faith. Like, look, if it's the Lord's will, it's the Lord's bill, and he'll take care of me. Like, I just have this faith. Like, if I go out to eat with my dad, he's gonna pay for it. Like, in the natural and in the spiritual, right? <laughs> Not that I'm trying to take advantage of my earthly father, but I just, I know his heart. I remember one time when I was uh, 18 or somewhere around that age. Yeah, it had to have been that age because Allie was with us. We were at Piccadilly in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, we had a bunch of the family there and I had a job. I think it was my first like man job where I was doing finished carpentry. And so I was making more money than I was used to as a high schooler. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm making a fortune. I can get married next month. And uh, so I wanted to be the generous one this time and pay for everyone's Piccadilly. And uh, so my dad was there, but my grandpa, his dad was there. And he was like, you do not pay for the meal. He is going to pay for everyone's meal because he wants to bless everyone. And, but this time I really wanted to do it. So I was trying to like sneak around. My grandpa's like, man, how old was he then? He had to have been in his like late 60s or early 70s at that point. And... Uh, I remember getting up, trying to sneak off to go pay for the bill because I knew they wouldn't let me. And my grandpa, that old man, he got up and just started running for the cashier through Piccadilly. And I'm like, what? And so we both just started running and he beat me there. Like he beat my 18 year old body with his old man body and just like, just took off. But uh, I'm just confident in that kind of generosity, even in the father, like, if it's the Lord's will, it's the Lord's bill. And I think as leaders, it's like, yeah, there's things to manage, but I, I would rather see us lay down our management to pick up our gardener heart as things build. And I bring this, this aspect up of the epidemic of having many business-like managers run the church um, Because we do have that epidemic of church leaders who manage the business affairs of a community of believers while we have no fellowship. And the tendency is for that kind of leader to lead from a disconnected place. And so we all become just kind of isolated department managers. And so if I can do a modern rendition of a famous line that Paul said when he said, you have a lot of teachers, but you don't have a lot of fathers, I think the appeal to the modern Western church is you have a lot of managers and department heads, 
but you don't have a lot of fathers. You don't have a lot of mothers. And when that's the culture that's built, the church just becomes this weird place for self-promotion instead of service to the family of God. Um, Here, young, ambitious leaders bite and devour one another for promotion within the business as we treat the platform ministry as some sort of celebrity culture. Um, When I was first a youth pastor... I had a bad mindset because I got kind of sucked up into that. And it was just, I feel like a natural product of having department managers over me while I'm within this ministry structure of wanting to get promoted to higher celebrity status, in a sense. I would never have framed it like that because you want to be humble and you did have a sincere heart to serve the Lord, but that's just how the machinery of this stuff works and builds over time. But what it did as a leader over youth and college at the beginning was it put in this, it put this mindset in me where I wasn't functioning from a place of I care about these people and I want to get to know them. I saw it more as I'm doing my time in the trenches so that God will promote me later. And so my priorities then was, okay, I want to be a really good teacher Um, And I want to do all these like celebrity things or manager things. I want to do those well. And what was sad was the kids began to get left behind. Um, The Lord really convicted me and didn't let me stay there long. Um, She's so cute. Hey, what's happening? He didn't let me stay there long. Um, And he used just the military structure to kind of correct me of, you know, you think like you're in the system and you're just going to automatically rank up and just, you know, go to the next rank and go to the next rank. And he's like, it won't be so among you. And just begin to tear that mindset apart to where I began to see like, oh, I'm my main job is actually to have fellowship with the people that I'm leading to sow seeds and take care of that seed in that garden and then get them connected in community with each other so that they can grow fruit to maturity. And we all just love Jesus together. We're all just pursuing Jesus together. And uh, even in the midst of that, the Lord shifting my heart, I mean, you still saw like young ambitious leaders just bite and devour one another for a promotion. Um, to be more of a celebrity. It's like, if I can be on the stage, then I'll be the star. And again, we don't say that, but we act like it, the way we understand the business model of the church and the promotion within it. But again, may it not be so among us. We're all priests to the Lord. We're all priests to the Lord. And when we gather, even for worship and stuff, as you know, Ali's leading the worship team and we have the musicians and the singers and the prayers, and then the congregations gathered, and we're all here before the Lord. You're not here to be before us. We're not here to be before you. We're here to be together before the Lord as priests unto our God to minister to him. But anyway, digressing from kind of what the modern church has morphed into, it wasn't that way in Acts chapter 2 
We see in Acts chapter one and the beginning of chapter two that the leadership was already themselves in a deep place of fellowship that made their hearts one. And I appreciate Cassie for bringing this up a couple weeks ago about just the urgency upon the leaders and the builders in this time to just really become one um, in this moment. Uh, And that's what we see in Acts chapter one. So when we get to the end of chapter two, these 3,000, they weren't merely signing up for a program. It wasn't just like, here's the sacred trust paperwork, and now let's all do this disconnected at the heart level. These 3,000 in Acts chapter 2, they weren't merely signing up for a program that leaders designed and implemented, but the 3,000 were naturally brought because it was the culture that the 120 had already established by being immersed in Jesus and immersing their lives in one another and fighting for that deep connection and fighting through the conflict resolution. And you see the apostolic witness being restored in Acts chapter one. The 3,000 were naturally brought into the family and fellowship that was already formed by the fathers and the mothers. So I can preach about this like forever. And we've preached about family and fellowship and meaningful connections with one another, I feel like for years. Um, Well, not feel like, I know it's been years, like five or six years we've been really focusing on this. And even if I took a short break to look at another series, it's like we always come back to the second commandment reality for the last five or six years. So I can preach about it all I want to, but like sat hop leaders, and really just the community of you guys, especially if we expect to grow, and then the road begins to have impact in our immediate community instead of just drawing people from all over the city, but we begin to see people from the community be ministered to and being brought into the fold, so to speak. It is our burden to maintain fellowship, and that burden is on you guys. Like, I carry it too, but... And I can carry it alone. And in some seasons, especially at the beginning of our second commandment focus, I feel like I did carry it alone. Um, and, but now I'm calling us into that as a community and saying that burden's actually on you. Because I can talk about a culture, but if we don't walk it out together, it doesn't matter what gets talked about from the pulpit. And so Ali and I have carried that burden, and I know many of you have taken that up with us through the years of fighting for community and fellowship and connection, but how many of you know, like, you're not omnipresent, you're not omniscient, so you can't, no one person can be God to everyone, and so there comes a point, it's like, man, I can't be best friends with everyone, I would like to, and I want to have some sort of connection with everyone, I feel like that's important for the pastor to maintain that and leaders to maintain that. But at the same time, like, hey, if this is gonna be a part of the culture, that's on you guys. Because I can talk about it, but until like we all buy into it and actually do it and it's like, hey, come over to my house and let's have dinner and let's hang out and let's just get to know each other. No agenda, no manipulation. I just wanna know who you are and celebrate that. Um, even if I don't fully understand it, all through time learn to love and appreciate the beauty of Jesus in you. Um, The burden's on us, every single one of us, to fight for that. Because it's not just gonna happen. And especially those in the leadership. The burden to maintain fellowship is on you. But I don't mean it to sound too heavy because it's a light burden. 
And the reason is it's Jesus's burden. Jesus said, take my yoke, take my burden upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So it's not that there's no burden from the Lord, but when he's there with you and yoked with you, it's not that heavy of a burden. Now you can overdo it and say yes to too many things and fill your schedules so much that you wear yourself out, so I'm not suggesting that. So just walk with the Lord and be able to steward this burden in a way that maintains its lightness so that you feel the responsibility of, okay, I have work in my hands to do, but then also be filled with the joy of the Lord at the same time and knowing that you're yoked with him. You know what I'm talking about in the yoke, how they'd plow up the old fields, they'd put this piece of wood and then there were more bits to it than that, but just a piece of wood over and around the shoulders of oxen, cattle, horses, and then you'd have this plow and the animals would pull the plow to dig up the, dig up the ground. So when Jesus says, take up my yoke, he's beside you in the yoke because the plow's between you two. So it takes two to pull that thing. And so Jesus is there, his burden's light, his yoke is easy, his burden's light. And so, again, there is a burden, but it's light because it's his. But uh, just stay in fellowship with Jesus so you don't overdo it, though, (laughs) would be the caution on that. The depth or the shallow nature, the depth or the shallowness of the fellowship life of our family is dependent on the degree of y'all's fellowship with one another, really. Um, we do, I do my best to meet with everyone that I can on a consistent basis. Um, but again, I'm not God and uh, I'm not outside of time. So I need y'all's help to take up that, that burden and take up that yoke with us. And the degree that we have the depth that we see in Acts chapter two. We can go as deep as we want to in there, but that's really up to you guys. It's really up to you guys. And now I know in this season in the altar table road in May, the prayer room's gonna be launched this summer. We're gonna be looking at what the small groups and the discipleship and the fellowship is going to look like as far as just having a small group life built into the prayer room. But hey, we don't need to wait for a program for fellowship and discipleship to begin. Just be friends and enjoy one another. Like over there, and especially now in this season, I'm gonna rework the mission statement on the end of that uh, board over there that has our vision and our mission um, because I feel like our mission's got more clarity now. But at the very end of it, like our main call, especially being a prayer room, when people wanna know how they can serve or what they can do around the prayer room, my number one response is just enjoy the Lord with us. Persevere in enjoying the Lord with us. And so this call to fellowship is to persevere and enjoying one another. To persevere and enjoying one another. And whatever we set, and I think this is specific to the leaders, the environment that we create through our actions and our commitments or lack thereof that's gonna set the ceiling for the community as a whole. Especially as folks from the neighborhood begin to come in. Like whatever environment we set, we're just in, in this Acts chapter one moment, I feel like, where it's like we're tearing a little bit, 
We're spending some time in prayer. Is there anything that the Lord needs to restore? And we're just in this moment while the Spirit's hovering over the water, so to speak. And the degree of the fellowship that we encounter with one another, we're only going to be able to lead people into that type of fellowship. And uh, man, my desire is just for, just for a family, just for a family that knows and loves one another and is committed to one another. But uh, in closing, this is kind of my just last topic real quick. I actually have no clue what time it is because the clock's not on the TV, so. Oh, 7.26. But uh, in closing, this church and Acts, we have such a privilege to behold and learn from and earnestly desire the spirit of who they were. in order to reproduce it in our context. And now maybe it might not be the fullness because I know, I don't know about your schedule, but I might not can handle the day by day like everything they were doing every day. Part of that was practically for them, their cities were not that big. They lived in close proximity to one another and they didn't have cell phones to distract them on Facebook all day. So they had things to do um, or time to get things done. Um, and so I'm not saying that we should rush into that, but again, just the verse, verse 42, what does continual devotion look like to fellowship? What does continual devotion look like to all these things, to the teaching, the breaking of bread, to prayer, and for tonight's purposes, the fellowship? What does it look like to be continually devoted to that and not just patronize the church as a business or patronize us as like a Christian version of the bar? I've said that a couple times and some of the other sessions is just the mindset of, especially us charismatics, where it's like, I just want to go there because I want to drink. And so, like, that's great. Drink deep of the pleasures of the Lord. But, like, let's be a family that's devoted to one another. And I feel like that's, that's a different kind of wineskin that has a different kind of presence. That carries a sincerity of heart. That carries a gladness of heart. That... Uh, that I desire to be a part of. I mean, you look at the, this Acts church and even this early church, like new converts that didn't really know much, but were ushered into the 120s fellowship. There's such a stark and convicting contrast to what modern Western churches become in contrast to the business and celebrity culture of us moderns, like just look at Acts chapter two and just behold the fellowship of the church and behold the priesthood of Jesus, just playing out practically what it looked like in people's lives. They had mutual affection for one another, a great deal of conversation with one another if they're spending that much time with each other. And although... They were together a lot. And they withdrew from their evil generation, Peter called the, that generation. They withdrew from it. They still didn't become hermits, and we've addressed that before, but they lived, they lived in intimacy together. And in the midst 
of the world, they became a display of love. And that love for one another just gripped the hearts of the outsiders and joyfully pulled them into their fellowship. So you see these in Acts. They took every occasion to meet. And whenever you saw one disciple, you would see more. And these Christians, they loved one another. They were concerned for one another. They sympathized with one another. And they were engaged in each other's interests. And the most meaningful of this fellowship was their joint fellowship with God. Still feel like it's the best kind of fellowship we can have when we share a mutual gaze upon Jesus. If you'll turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. This will just be our closing scripture. Just in talking about our mutual gaze on Jesus is the highest form of fellowship. And that's really what ultimately pulls our hearts together into one another. Not just the hangout time, but that we know Jesus. And our hearts being excited by the presence of Jesus and the knowledge of who he is, pulling us closer to one another as we are each on our own individual journeys into him and spurring one another on to love and good works. Um, I remember as, as a new believer, I, the Lord had to work on me because I had no capacity to just appreciate being around people if they weren't talking about Jesus. But my soul did grow weary of all these like fellowship meetings we would have. I remember one particular um, worship leader in town. I don't remember his name. Um, I wouldn't share it if I did. Um, but uh, he was a part of a new church plant and he was wanting to set up this uh, kind of a community of citywide musicians. So if a church needed musicians for a Sunday, then they could pull from this pool, P-U-L-L, from this P-O-O-L. Um, pull from this pool of musicians. And uh, so I wanted to set up meetings and fellowships with that pool of musicians and other worship leaders in town. And so I remember just, I'd been saved maybe a year and I was just, and we'd just moved to San Antonio and I was just so in love with Jesus. I was excited to find fellowship because we were a part of a small church plant that really wasn't growing past my family and my uncle's family that we came down here to help. There were people that would come in from time to time. Um, so, but we were just really starving for meaningful relationship. And I even remember kind of ha- trying to have conversations with my uncle about the fellowship and the small groups and um, back then. And uh, he didn't really think that that was the direction that the church needed to go. Um, as far as establishing those things, it was very kind of like we're coming to a building to have a service and very program, program thing. And uh, anyway, so just that to share, like Allie and I were really starving for mutual Christian community. We had had people that we were ministering to all the time. Like we were taking our instruments and just singing in the park, meeting people, always evangelizing um, at Home Depot when I worked at the Home Depot at the Forum, just always praying for people, always talking to people about God, no matter where I worked. And so the evangelism thing, the being with people, like that, that happened and that was fine, but it's like there was something in the soul that was just missing because we had no mutual fellowship with someone who was fascinated by Jesus. And uh, so we went to this worship leader meeting and man, my soul was just disappointed so deeply because no, I'm in a room or it was actually outside, but I'm outside with a group full of worship leaders of Anyone that could talk about the beauty of Jesus, it should be a worship leader, right? 
because they're supposed to lead us into the revelation of the knowledge of God that they have. And so I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. So like maybe talking to teachers and worship leaders are the two like, man, just let's get our minds blown with God, right? So I'm ready for this. And they're just talking about like the latest Will Ferrell movies. And I think that's when Will, Will Ferrell was like being teased on The Office, like he was gonna get a role on The Office TV show. And I don't like Will Ferrell particularly anyway. His style of humor is annoying to me. Um, but uh, anyway, that's like all they wanted to talk about. And they're talking about pop culture and like different things like that. And I'm just, I'm weeping inside that it's like, okay, there's gotta be something deeper to this fellowship of the church thing. It's gotta be more than like game night, or, game night or come over and watch the NFL game or let's play poker. Or like all these things I began to see. And so it really turned my heart against the word fellowship for many years. And like, we don't need that. I just wanna be in the prayer meeting, like forget all that baloney, but there's a deeper place of fellowship when we actually can come to that place where the heart's excited. That's one of the reasons I like going to uh, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City is you kind of have that in a small community, not in a cultish way, but they have such an influence over Grandview where they're at that you can go to McDonald's, you can go to their coffee shop, you can just be around the campus and people are talking about Jesus. It's just, it's amazing. Like every time I go there, I just marvel. I'm like, heaven's going to be like this. Like if we're not in the throne room, everyone's going to be talking about what we got in the throne room, right? And uh, so there's this deeper place of fellowship. And I think John touches it so beautifully in his opening in 1 John, if you're there with me, when he says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Oh my goodness. First off, this is just bonus. These first two verses, let me just finish verse two. He's talking about things we've looked at and touched, seen with our eyes, touched with our hands concerning the word of life and the life was manifested to us and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you. I'll stop there. Look at all these, the sensory language that he's using in verse one. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen, what we have looked at and touched. Concerning the word of life and the life was manifested and we have seen and proclaimed to you. That, that's really all you need for evangelism class right there. I know there's wisdom in how to get you know, over your fear of being able to talk to people and just opening up a conversation, leading them in, Lord, in the Lord, learning how to operate in the spiritual gifts. But honestly, when it comes down to it, we're all natural evangelists for the things that we're excited about. And if you can posture yourself in a private life of prayer and in a community of prayer where you get to do these first two verses, you see, you taste, you touch, you handle eternal life, and then you proclaim those, then you're a witness. You just take a class to go learn some information, then you're going out as a pundit. Jesus doesn't fill us with his spirit to be his pundits. He fills us with his spirit to be witnesses. 
And so here's First John, like, just let this search us, even as we, like, you know, desire to share the gospel. It's like, man, sometimes I feel like people just need to get in the prayer meeting and be a witness of something before they hit the streets. I feel like we have too many people with just divided gospels. There was a couple summers ago, we participated in a big citywide evangelism campaign, and many churches were involved. It was called Sweep Over Essay. And uh, I remember being put on a particular team with five different people. Um, And of these five people, we actually had five different ministries represented. And by the end of that time, I'm like, holy moly, like, where are the witnesses when we're ministering to people and engaging people and wanting to evangelize the city? And I remember sitting with this poor homeless man um, who was dishonorably discharged from the military and life wasn't going so hard and he had an argument for everything that was being said. But I, I hesitated to speak in the moment because I was watching the, five, the other four ministries that were represented and these weren't leaders of the ministry, um, but they were people a part of different ministries. And because ministries will emphasize one thing or another ministry will emphasize this thing, I literally watched like four different gospels being preached to this guy. Where like, well, don't you know the Lord wants to give you money? And well, you just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and like the Holy Spirit will help you get a job and like just like four different gospels being presented. And I'm just marveling like we're so disconnected, like we're not one. And it's not until we're one as the church, right, that then they will know that he was sent. And I just watched this poor guy just sink deeper into confusion, and he had better arguments for the things that were being said. And I just, I felt so bad for him that I just let the team go on, and I spent about an hour, an hour and a half with them just, just chilling and talking about some other stuff and bringing up some things. And um, when Allie kicked me out of the house, I didn't have to live on the streets in Montana, but I became homeless for a little bit, so... It was interesting. It's interesting, you know, like the son of man has no place to lay his head. And so it's like, look, man, I'm not going to introduce you to the Jesus that wants to give you a mansion right now, but uh, I can introduce you to the son of man who had no place to lay his head and you can still find him here. Um, But anyway, back to first John, the witness, like waiting till we actually see and heard and we're not trained with information because in that presentation of the four gospels, it was like there was four different pundits. And it was just, you know, no different than when you have the pundits on the news stations who are experts in their field and they bring them on for the express purpose of arguing with one another. That's kind of, that's pretty much what it was. We had four pundits arguing with one another in front of this guy trying to get him saved with the gospel. But here, John wasn't just coming with information. He's like, guys, We've heard this with our ears. We've seen it with our eyes. And we've touched this word with our hands. And the life was manifested to us. We have seen and testify and proclaim to you eternal life. That's loaded. Just for later, John 17, three, right? Eternal life is to know God. And so he's in effect saying, we know him. His eternal life was manifested, which was with the Father and manifested to us, verse three. So we have seen and we've heard 
and we proclaim to you also. So the reason for John's preaching was so that the people hearing his word or reading this letter would too have fellowship with him. That's why he says, we have seen and heard and we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write these things so that your joy may be made complete. That's what the pentacle or the summit of the fellowship is for, is that we live as witnesses, tasting and touching and handling eternal life, that we would see him and encounter him in the word and in prayer and worship. And from that place of witnessing, begin to proclaim to each other, proclaim to other, um, those outside, those inside, so that as we come into fellowship with God, that we, that we would bring others into that same fellowship, us and him and them and us, and just Jesus' language from John 17. But I love, I love that passage, and it just has kept me so centered my whole life. But uh, lastly, as my friend Jonathan Frizz, who heads up 10 Days Global, always says, pretty much every time I see him preach, which I love to see my friend Jonathan Frizz preach. But uh, concerning John 17, 21, he says, concerning Jesus's prayer for us to be one, he says, Jesus prayed for way more than for us to be in the same room not fighting. These in Acts chapter two, as it says, was in one accord. It wasn't only that these just didn't have strife or discord, but they had a great deal of holy love among themselves. And that holy love grew the fruit of peace and may it be so among us. Amen. Amen.